Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. This is week two of our Summerfest, where Echo Church family are taking turns on the mic. So thanks for welcoming people every week. We, If you weren't here with us last week, or if you haven't met him yet, our current mini-series is brought to you by Steve Carr, who I'm related to. He's my husband. He was the original pastor of Echo Church 18 years ago, and he remains on our leadership. And he works for a nonprofit that helps churches across the country. And so he spends his day-to-day evaluating what churches are doing and how they're functioning in all different settings. And so we invited him to give us, give us some inspiration on what is the church's mission. And it will give us deeper understanding of why we do the things that we do as Echo Church. So thanks for being here this morning. Welcome, Steve. By the way, that's the way that we communicate at home. We talk about each other in third person in very formalized manners. It's a very respectable house. You can see by the way that we're managing parenthood and everything. I don't know if you all made it anywhere downtown this week. Did anybody make it into the city center? There was a lot going on this week. One thing that some of you newbies might have seen, you're like, wait, people actually like the Reds in Cincinnati? And quite honestly, when the Reds get good, this becomes a good town. And then if the Reds and the Bengals are good at the very same time, you're talking end of the world, mass hysteria, cats and dogs living together. It is a crazy, crazy time. And that is just enough to say that in the coming weekend, now the apex of this with the arrival of um, our Messiah, Taylor Swift, coming into this city, um, and I, I will never disparage, and quite honestly, I've said this to my wife and daughter. I was like, hey, you know, we're not busy Friday night. Do you want to just go down and see everything? And they're like, are you nuts just because of the chaos that will ensue? And I really only probably am familiar with two or three of her songs, but I'm always interested in, like, this event, this thing. So if some of you worship at the altar of Taylor, you know, I'm glad you came to church this week, and you can go to whatever is coming this way. But downtown Cincinnati, it's very interesting how it is now. It just can be alive and vibrant. The downtown that I remember was more so like this, and I don't know if you can tell, it was like a a model of what was developed after the Second World War, which was very car-centric, car-heavy. So if you think Fort Washington Way, that connector between 75 and 71, if you think that's bad now, years ago there were actually exits in the valley and you could like take an exit to the right side, there was a ramp, and it would go from, you know, 55 to 12 as you came through these concrete barriers and you came out in this like tunnel underneath the Riverfront Stadium, the Red Stadium. It was crazy. And then the Riverfront had things, but usually it was still a remnant of what it was years ago, which was really designed as ports where people would move and ship goods. So it's like as they tried to re-envision after the Second World War of what a car use you know, city looked at, it was really a barren wasteland on the riverfront. Unfortunately, in the 90s, starting in the early 2000s, some people are like, hey, this is like the best 
part of our city, it might help us to develop it. And if you can see what it is today, like this whole view is completely different. It, I, I remember seeing pictures now and that trees, newer ones show the trees growing. And it's like now it's not this concrete landscape where the, the baseball stadium used to be. There was decks and decks of parking. So the closest you could get to the river was like you were standing on top of it. But there are places now where you can actually get right up to the river's edge. And it makes for a pleasant thing to where now if the weather is nice in the city, somebody, whether it be tourists or locals, are heading down to the river to see what happens. And this transformation took a process of years, and actually when we started the church, it was still in process 18 years ago, and really is still becoming what it was intended to be. But one of the interesting things is when they decided and determined to transform the riverfront, they started to dig out and excavate, and they actually found some of the old remnants of what was even years ago. And if you see this arrow that I point to, right to the side of Roebling Suspension Bridge, and if you've been down to Smale Park and gone there, there's actually the existence of the foundations of buildings that are right there. They've excavated it. Instead of just, you know, letting it be, they excavated it and just said, hey, let's just make this into a sitting area. But what this is, is the foundations of buildings that used to exist on this site back in 1802. So the foundation that you can sit on with all the grass right there is actually what a house or few houses were going back to even before the Roebling Suspension Bridge was built in the 1860s. So we get this chance to see this what was in the midst of what now is and can be. And I know it's not the coolest topic to talk about unless you are some sort of engineer, architect, construction geek. But the interesting thing to me is like we have something that is now over 200 years old and basically the remnants of what was is this foundation. And being here in a city built on hills, foundations are very, very important. As I travel across the country, there are places where, you know, you're like, hey, in our basement, they don't have basements. They just slick a slab down and then build on top of it. But with foundations, what they do is develop the structural footprint upon which buildings are constructed. And this is very interesting, is even through ancient excavations like we have been able to in the ancient Near East and in Europe find foundations that go back thousands of years that we can see where people lived and the structures they built on it. One of the most interesting things that Kelly and I were able to do back in 2005 in our trip to Israel is that there are excavations in the Galilean city of Capernaum where you can see the foundation that is rumored to be the house of Simon Peter where Jesus once was. We don't know if it was the house, but we know that that foundation existed when Jesus walked the earth. What I'm trying to stress here is the importance of what once was foundations to what we do today. And what I'm doing in these three weeks, and this is the task to which Kelly has tasked me, is I'm talking about something I would teach in seminary classes and I teach to church leaders with pretty common frequency is what is the church? And as we discover what is the church, we have to really admit to ourselves that very often our critiques and our dissatisfaction and our anger with churches usually comes down to issues that exist today and they are the basically the structure, the weeds, if you will, instead of looking to the base level, the root causes of what 
the problem that we are looking at today really is. And so many of the problems that we have in churches today stem from those more root causes, those foundational causes, which is the church not recognizing it and understanding who they actually are. So if you missed last week, it's online. I know this is really what you want to do is go on the YouTubes and watch me talking for 30 minutes this week. But if you missed, it's there for you to pretend that you didn't watch it. But what we talked about last week was introducing this concept of our view of what the church is for something like Echo, which is a non-denominational church. We are not linked to any denominational body. We are an independent group of believers. But because of that, what we're trying to understand is how we live and move and breathe and make our decisions. We said that the $5 theological term for that is ecclesiology. Ecclesi comes from the term ecclesia, is a Greek word which means community or gathering. So the theology of the gathering, the theology of the church is what we're trying to do. So set some of this up last week, but we're still really carrying on this week because we want to see what is the foundation. The foundation of who we are as Echo Church really stems from the biblical foundations of what we will examine here this morning. So a few things. The first thing that I really wanted to talk about today, and I think this is an important topic, so again, it's basic, but it's foundational, is this idea of how you and I relate to God. What is the biblical outline for how you and I as humans connect to the Lord God Almighty? And I do this usually in triads because every preacher is supposed to preach three points, but don't get excited because I actually have multiple three points, so it's back-to-back three points, which is six, but if I outline at three, you'll know when we're halfway done, right? You'll get your lunch in, no worries. The first concept I always talk about, and I've used the Latin phrases because it doesn't matter. If you say something in Latin, you're automatically like three times smarter than you were, so I just put things in Latin because you're like, oh, that's a phrase and it makes sense, but it's there. Deus fideus. Fidelis, I even mispronounce it because when you say it five times fast, it doesn't work out so well. Okay, Latin scholars, Deus is God, right? Fidelis, faithful. So everything that we are as a church starts with faithful God. Maybe uh, my father was a Marine. They have their, um, their motto is Semper Fidelis, which is always faithful. And in that way, that's who the Lord God Almighty is, is that our existence depends upon the faithfulness of God. Understand this then, is that you and I, despite our best efforts, even when we are doing things really well, we are unfaithful at times. Most specifically, as we discussed last week, we are unfaithful to God when we sin, when we do things that make him unhappy. We are unfaithful, but the difference between us and God, biblically, is that God is always faithful. Again, the $5 theological term right here is immutable. He is unchangeable. God doesn't change him because he is a constant that allows us who are not constant, who are prone to go wayward places to at least have a frame, a structure by which we can understand who God is. Just a few weeks ago, Kelly was wrapping up the series on Exodus with Exodus chapter 20, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, even though it's just a collection of many rules, 10 commandments that we follow. And I'm always struck by... We in the Protestant Catholic Christian world believe that the Ten Commandments starts with have no other God before me. But the Jewish rabbis, when they would teach the Ten Commandments, always said that the very first commandment is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. 
which doesn't necessarily sound like a commandment, but within their framework, was actually far more grace-centric, God-faithful than we ever determined, is the reason that we can live underneath the authority of God is because he is God and he is the one who brings us out of Egypt. Metaphorically, he is the one who delivers us. He is the one who has taken us from where we will and will lead us to greater heights, to better places, to the promised land. And it is his faithfulness then that determines everything about how you and I should respond. That wasn't just an Old Testament concept that continues through the teachings of Jesus and his life and the way that he modeled himself. One of the most interesting parables, these lessons that Jesus teaches in the New Testament was the parable of the hundred sheep. Do you recall this? He tells a story about a shepherd who have a hundred sheep in the field, but one sheep wanders far away. And if we're doing this just based upon mathematical, statistical calculations, you would say that, hey, if I have a hundred of everything and I lose one, I don't want to risk loss of any of the larger portfolio to go seek just one that is lost. But Jesus tells the story of a shepherd who is willing to say, I will lift live, risk everything for the sake of even one sheep because that is how I operate. That is who I am. And that is fundamental then for us as followers of Jesus to understand is that regardless of our wayward actions, we are always on a trajectory where the good shepherd is in pursuit of us. He leaves the 99 for the one that is lost. Our God is faithful. First John chapter 1 verse 9. John writes, God is faithful and just. He will forgive us of our sins and purify us to righteousness. So the very basis of why we are here today is not just this is a gathering of people who believe that they are righteous that they are good enough. No, this is a gathering that is dependent upon the faithfulness of God, the Davis Fidelis that he is faithful first and foremost. Second concept to introduce you right here is the imago Dei. So again, more Latin, imago, image, Dei God, the image of God. And that is where you come in. God is faithful, who are we? We are the image of God. We see this in Genesis chapter one, verse 26, where in the midst of creation, God has this inner monologue with the Trinity. And he says, okay, six days in, we've done lots of stuff. And the, the scripture says, let us make humanity in our own image. Let us make humanity in our own image. And that is distinct because out of all the rest of creation, yes, you love your puppers and your animals. You love your plants you love the objects that exist and create, but there's something different with humanity. Why? Because humanity is made in God's image. What does that mean? Does that mean that God walks around with like, you know, he walks around? Literally, does he have two arms, two legs? This is why some people get really caught up into God's gender as this whole construct. It's like, no, he's father and God and it has to stay within this confines. Friend, the reality is, is that we can imply a lot, but we don't know everything about who God is and how we are made in his image. But the one thing that we can de derive from that, from the Bible over and over again, is that we as human humanity are the chief of God's creation. And that is because there is an eternal element to us. There is an eternal element to you. 
God has placed within you as a human being a soul, and that soul will exist long after your physical body no longer exists. That is what makes us in his image. That part of you will live on for eternity. That's what the scriptures teach us, that what we Christians believe, yet it's always hard to grapple with that, right? Because we understand it's like it's just hard for us to see anything beyond life. Life is long and of itself. And if you don't remember that, think about those times you were in grammar school, in elementary school, where you're like, it's only 10 o'clock already. And you had to go through the rest of the day. And yet now in my late 40s, I'm like, you know, I, I remember holding this little baby that is now a human adult. And you're like, how does that time just go so rapidly? It's because <laughs> the older we get, the quicker the time goes, the more that we're in touch with our mortality, but we need to recognize is that we have souls that will last forever. And because of that, because part of us will live forever, what we do here on the earth has eternal resonance. So even though I get caught in the mundane of, you know, having to mow my yard, having to get a haircut, right? Having having to replace things that are going away. What we do has resonance for the rest of eternity. Why? Because we are made in the image of God. Now, we don't always act as God does within all the other aspects of his life, right? We're not always faithful because we're the lesser than the Deus Fidelis. But because we're made in the image, we have these aspirational opportunities to be just like him. God created, we are made in his image, and therefore we are creative beings. I love to talk about that because there's so many things of this is that we don't understand is that one of the beautiful things that God gave to you and I is the ability to emulate him and to make and create. Now, we can't be like God. God can create anything out of nothing. We have to use the resources that he has made however we're able to be like him. So God is faithful. We are made in his image. And we weave this together then. The way that holy God and flawed but eternal humanity engage is on mission with him. And then the Latin that is called the Missio Dei. And missiology is the field of study of this when you're getting into deeper theology. But it's this idea that we live our lives on mission with God to help him accomplish what he wants to do with all of humanity. Now that is a high calling, a high calling given for someone made in the image of God. But basically what it is is that God didn't just make you and said, have a good existence. God made you and said, hey, join me, collaborate with me to do something that is going to last for all eternity. Is that to join him on mission we read about this in the teachings of Jesus right as he ascended back into heaven in Matthew 28 in a text that's popularly known as the Great Commission. But even if we think of it as the Great Commission, right? What is, what, what is a mission? It's an assignment. It's a task. And we are called on mission with God to accomplish his view of humanity's end. And what is that? Jesus says, go into all the nations. Teach the good news about me. Baptize people in my name. Be on mission with him. Now, when we're called to mission, that doesn't mean that we're then called to some vocational mission. It's not then that, you know, we in our 
structure of understanding view pastors at a more significant level than the plebes in the pews, right? In many church traditions, that's how it is. It's like, listen, the person on the stage, the pastor, the person with the title is the person up here and then we're all down here. No, it's collectively, all of us are called on mission to him, whether we do that in a vocational sense or not. And friends, that's a simple lesson, but it's actually something, I love it. My mom loves the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of my faith comes down to her. I was ordained, like I said last week, 25 years ago, and I'll call her, you know, every few days, and on some of the calls, she'll be like, hey, are, are, are you preaching right now? Are you preaching, Steve? And I'm like, well, you know, I'm filling in on Sundays. I get the point. She goes, good, because you really need to be preaching, as if somehow I am sacrificing this significant task because everything else. And I'm like, and I, I don't have the heart to tell her. I'm like, mom, like week to week, I'm advising church leaders on how to steward millions of dollars. But man, I really need to get in front of a bunch of people and talk for a while and tell stories about my life. And I'm not trying to minimize that, Kelly, what you do. You're a great preacher. Good on you. But it's this idea that we sometimes have a different view of what it means to be on mission with God. All of us are on mission with God. Can I uh, parenthetically add this? And this is something that I'm having a good time with now. But when we started Echo, there was a couple of aspects that Kelly and I talked about the lives we wanted to live. And one of the things that we really decided was, look, we want to come into the city because there's not a lot of believers there. And we want to raise family in the city. We want to raise our family in this place. And from the get-go, we talked about raising Kaylin, who... She's in back, so I love talking about her, and she'll never watch the video. No way. So if you guys don't mention to her that I talked about her, I'm all in the clear. But when we were raising her, we very much said, we're raising a missionary. Now, that is not that we were raising her then to be like, I need her to go to the deepest, darkest, third world countries and be a preacher for Jesus. But what I wanted her to see is that her being called out, somebody made in the image of God, can live in a place that someone deemed the absolute darkest places and stand for Jesus and be a light for him in her context. And that's what we do. Kaylin is a product of Cincinnati Public Schools. Uh, she has lived in a very post-religious academic environment. She has been in studies to where she'll be like, hey, here's all these anti-religious, anti-Christian things that I learn in school. And typically what we parents are, are like, I have to protect her from that. I have to keep her in the bubble for that because if the pagans get their hands on her, then she's going to be corrupt. But what we want made to, sure to do in every aspect of us trying to parent her is like, look, it's not like we Christians are better than anyone who is not. We are all sinners. We've just accepted to become saints through the redemption of Jesus. And we want you to be in place to where you don't view other people as lesser because they don't believe what you do about eternity. And I'm telling you guys, we're getting close to this next thing. Now there's college, there's all this. But at the end of the day, she is a better believer than I was at her age. And you know what though? It's not been easy at all. We've had so many awkward conversations. She, you know, we, I can't even, I guess I shouldn't say it right now. Kelly's shaking her head. She's like, don't say awkward conversations that we've had. But I, I was like, prepared for PG-13 conversations, but we're getting into, it's, and I don't want you to think less of her, it's just because of where she lives and exposed to, she has lived in the world, but she is tethered to her faith in Jesus and understands her calling as a missionary. And that's what we're all called to do. Whether you are working 
in any different construct, wherever you are, if you are a, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are called on mission to him. We are called collectively to be on mission. The church is on mission with God to save humanity. And that's how it all weaves itself together. The three come together, and this is the task. We are on quest with him. All right, transitioning, second three points. So then what is a church? If, if this is what we're called to do, then what makes a church? I, and, and for us non-Catholics, non-Presbyterians, Methodists and stuff, I like to outline this. This is a very non-denominational and independent view of what it means to be a church. I've spent years studying this. I try to boil things down because I'm like, look, it doesn't mean this is exactly right. This is a framework that we can use. So go with the flow. I'll make my pitch. We'll see if we buy into it. Three things that we're going to talk about, the marks of a non-denominational church. The first one is biblical authority. Touched on this last week, so I won't go too deep into it, but I want to just repeat this right here. Is this, this idea is that our church exists under the umbrella of the Bible. Some churches exist over the Bible. It's like, hey, here's this hierarchy. Here's the teachings of our church because, you know, we are the ones who interpret the Bible. Friends, we allow the Bible to interpret us. We try to be just underneath all the word of God and what we do. So if a church is going to be that, what are the things that make up a church? Now, this I have four. So this is sub four points under the three, which is the second three. So really, this is sermon inception that you're witnessing right here, but I'm going to ask you to come along with me on the ride and see what this is. When, when we look at the New Testament, and there's a church, four things are present in every church that we recognize in the New Testament. The first one is that the church is communal. It means it's community. It means it's not one person. It's become insanely popular in these days just to redefine what people want church to be around who we want it to be, right? It's like, well, you know what? For me, my church is nature. I know that sounds romantic, but it's bull to the bleep because it just isn't true from a biblical perspective. You can have a spiritual experience in nature. God bless you on the way. But if you're like, look, I don't need to be part of a group of Christians because I can just be in nature and Jesus will speak to me in the same way. He won't, okay? Maybe that's the most forceful thing I say, but I'm just telling you. Church means being around with other people. I think this is intentional because many times, even me who is a pastor who loves people and I love humanity, I don't want to be around people, right? Right now, some of you don't want to be around me and there's nothing you can do unless you get up and walk out and that's going to be awkward. So you're like, when's communion and then we can move on. But the aspect of existing with people that I don't necessarily fully agree with is part of my development as a person of God, right? Because being around people who are different than me forces me to be introspective. I don't like to be introspective, but that's why I need it in my life. So at that point, and, and I will tell you, boy, man, this is the, no notes coming into this. The notes are here. Kelly's like, don't go away from the notes. I'm going away from the notes on this. I love the digital church that you are watching right now. That's awesome. Way to be digital. But still at some point, get to be someplace in person. I'm working with some people on the periphery right now who are doing virtual, what is it called? Like not AI church, but VR church, where they're like, hey, look, we make avatars and we go in, in the metaverse, and then we, we have church and they have service. Just seriously, I, I, like, I try to be gracious, but at the end of the day, that seems like a fun exercise, but it's not church when we are not connected to other people. And yes, I can be connected people digitally, but 
just straight up, some of you like me who have been on Zoom calls, you know you have your, you, you know your poo bear in some place, right? Where you have like, I have my button down shirt and then I'm wearing shorts and flip flops underneath the desk because they will never know. It's like the newscaster's day of old. I'm a different person when I'm digital. When I'm digital, I can be somebody who I'm not even if I say that I am, right? One of those like, Circle lights will fix a myriad of sins. Go Barbara Walters effect and give some blur on your Zoom screen. You look really good, but what happens when I am in person with you is that you see me for who I am, and we have to deal with each other in a visceral way. So this is not to say nature or digital can help enhance who we are before the gathering. Just make it a point to try to be here even when we don't want to be. Friends, my wife's a beautiful woman and the preacher, and there's some reason, some days I don't want to walk up the street. I live closer than any of you plebes to this place. And I still have experiences on Sunday morning where I'm like, sleep and coffee and sports seems much more alluring. And nobody said amen. That was the only one I was saving up for. But we try to be there. Why? Because then there are times when God shows up in the midst, even when we don't expect it. Some of the most profound spiritual experiences I've had have been unpredictable when I haven't felt to be in the same place and the Holy Spirit's able to speak through it. All right. Communal. Incarnational. Incarnational. Easy for me to say. Incarnational. Right? The etymology of that. We say carne. Carne is flesh in the Latin. Really, this derives from John chapter 1 where it was... Jesus is, is the word, and we see that John writes, the word became flesh among us. And actually, in the original Greek, it's that Jesus tents with us, right? Like, Jesus sets up his own encampment. Scripturally, there's some people who's like, like, Jesus coming to earth was like the tabernacle. It was the tent. So it was a place, but it was also movable. But it's this idea that we need to be incarnational. Now, how does a church become incarnational? They are part of a community, they are rooted in a community, and they understand is that they are structured in space and place, right? Many, many different ways God could have decided to save humanity, but he said, I'm going to send Jesus, a human being, to live in their very midst. Friends, we need to live in our very midst. That's one of the reasons why when you come to Echo, I love it, is that we've done this for years. Our programming is less than stellar. And when I say less than stellar, not in quality, but in quantity, and years over years, somebody's like, hey, are we going to do this or this or this or this? And usually what we try to say is like, hey, you want to do this? Here's something happening over here that some of our people are connected with. You should connect with that. Specifically, if it's something serving in the community, because what we want to do is be here, but not be like, hey, we need to do it, but have a Jesus-fied gathering of it, right? We need to exist and be and live in. And that's something that we've actually talked about for years here as a church, but that's very much why we're like, hey, this time there's a community gathering. We're just going to show up and be there. Do that. That's a church thing. And again, programming-wise, that's pretty simplistic. It's not our gig, but the issue is, is that we're trying to be there. If we are truly on mission in God, we cannot accomplish this mission if we are just a coven of Christian folk who gather with each other, Right? So it's this idea that we need to be out in the world, we need to be alive, living in it, we need to be incarnational. Three, missional. I've talked about this, but it's just this idea, is that if our church isn't committed to an advancing of what God's kingdom is, then we're not there. That does not mean then 
that we're hyper like, hey, let's find somebody and baptize them as quickly as possible, and then we're going to keep a counter because our scoreboard is going to be, you know, how many people we can, you know, become Christians. And I say that tongue-in-cheek because, friends, I've, I've worked in churches and been there where it was like, baptize first to ask questions later. And really, in this church, if you want to get baptized, we have to, we have to schedule that stuff because we've got the horse trough that we fill up, and then we have to get the heater on because I'm telling you, I don't care how hot it is. It's some cold water we get there, so we have like this heater. It's like a whole process, and you're like, well, you know, by that time, they could change their mind. I hope not. That's not why we do it quickly. We're not trying to get people baptized so we can move on because part of becoming who we are on mission is trying to live in the trenches with other people. More so than ever, my observation of the world in which we live is that there's a lot of people who are spiritual adjacent. They love Jesus, but don't understand how all that fits in their lives, and that takes a trajectory. If you're on that trajectory, you're in the right place. Because when we're on mission, it doesn't mean that we exist to force decision from you, right? We don't have the hierarchical, you know, triangle of echo church success that you start here and end up Kelly, right? There's no streamline except be here, be on mission, and to be on mission is to love Jesus and love human beings as if they're your own family, okay? Last one, submissional. And I don't want to tease this because I'm talk more about this next week, but I will say this. This is very important for you and for me. And when I say, by the way, anybody triggered by submission? Because there's a lot of church, you say church and submission, and you're like, whoa, 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 now we should be done. I'm here to make submissional great again, at least and a conceptual concept for this, okay, is that one of the things that when we come together is that collectively, and this is Ephesians 5.21, we live into submission of each other out of reverence for Jesus, okay? So what that means is that when I come into community, it's not everything I want it to be, it's that I live underneath the judgment of other people. Over 10 years ago, uh, we were meeting... We were having rental situations. We were like, we were up the street at a church here. We tried to buy it and it fell through. So we ended up, and some of you started with us in the closet, which was the, uh, the, the little and God love them great church, Church of the Brethren down the street here where it's hard to even find the place, but the whole building could have fit in part of this sanctuary. We were trying to find building solutions and I was looking everywhere in the neighborhood to try to get it done. Had our eyes on this place, by the way, but this was a process. It took two and a half years to convince them <laughs> to rent to us. It was this whole thing. But I, I came up with the solution because I was like, look, I know a place where there's plenty of real estate. We can rent it for a good price. And it would be a sweet, sweet location with a great story. I, and Eric wasn't even an elder at this time, I brought a report, presentation to our elders at the time and said, we need to move Echo into the casino, the Horseshoe Casino that they had just built down at Broadway Commons. I'm like, it's perfect. And it was funny because I had like this, I'm not even joking, I had a page report saying, this could be it, we can do this. I've researched this, it's great. And basically, I handed out the papers and I have never sat in front of a group of people who have been so disconnected with something I have said ever before. Like there was four people looking back at me and they were just like, no way, just no way. But I'm like, well, but you guys just read and they're like, no, we're good. And I don't know, still years later, I'm like, I would, man, Kelly, the only reason I said this, I wanna revisit that idea. 
And she's still shaking her head. Look, casino church could be sweet. Some of you would be like, hey, here's a little offering for Jesus. Here's a little for me on the way out. Sunday morning blackjack, y'all. All, you know, finding a place to eat. They have so many restaurants. I'm just telling you. This, that, and that wasn't in the report. But here's the thing. You know what happened when they all said no? I was like, all right. And I put that, and really, I've talked about it years from years, but whenever I talk about it, I talk about it in the concept of submission. Because even though I founded this church, like, this is my church. No, I'm joking. But even though I was there from the beginning, it started my brain. It's not my church. It's not Kelly's church. Dylan's or Shantae's or Eric's or none of it. It's, it's ours collectively. And what that means is that we live in submission to each other. And I would hope that there's bandwidth. And I know there is for our leaders because we have some godly leaders that if something was awry here, that we would really test with scripture to see how we need to live because we are a submissional church. Does that make sense? So do not break in hives. I'm going to talk more about this as we talk about the concepts of leadership next week in the church. But I just want you to know is that we need to live in submission. It ain't easy, but that's what makes the church the church. Okay? So I'll go through really quickly, but this is important. Congregational autonomy. And when I say congregational autonomy, that's my congregational is a very formal word. It's just church. I just didn't want to say marks of a church is church autonomy because it seems cyclical. But what a congregation is, is an individual gathering of this. So autonomy is that we are independent, and that's true. Outside of our church, we have networks that we connect with, but none of them can come in and say, hey, you need to get rid of this person, you need to do this, you need to say this, is that we live collectively in submission as a church to each other. And by the way, I can, I'll go through this again. I think I'll, I might even mention this next week, but I have kind of a whole places, as far as we look at like the tree deal in this slide where it's talking about, you know, there's the biblical text. This is like a level of submission that comes down into it. And again, this is the idea that, look, we are still part of the church universal. We don't believe that we are the only Christians. We're striving to be Christians only. We're trying to do this well. So it doesn't mean that we're disconnected here, that we believe that there's, even though we're an independent church, it's not so independent that we're just making stuff on the fly. We live underneath scriptures and we look how throughout history the church has interpreted scriptures. Some of it we cling to desperately, right? Like some of it about who Jesus is, who he was as the son of God, that he lived, died, resurrected. These are things that have existed for 2,000 years. But there's other aspects when we look through it and vet it through us as a congregation, we're like, this isn't the best thing. You know the horror stories of back in the 19th century where church leaders from pulpits justified slavery from a biblical perspective. They're like, well, Paul talked about slavery, so therefore it's all good. It's like, no, we can chuck stuff out when we see that it doesn't submit itself to the whole corpus of biblical teaching. So well, we can continue to get into this, but understand is that we are as an independent congregation. We're localized, we're incarnational. It's up to us to figure out how best to minister and serve. Okay, and that brings me to this, this is the last point, last of three, some of you are like, finally land this, playing Christian unity, which is so important. And I always end on Christian unity, which is, yes, we are, we are an independent church, but we don't believe ECHO is the solutions to all the needs of the city of Cincinnati, the state of Ohio, to our nation. We don't believe that we are above other churches, and we're going to strive to see where we can live in unity with each other. This has become more and more challenging. And I will tell you, as much as denominations are struggling and independent churches are rising, there's other people who are like, hey, I want to be... 
autonomous, I want to be like non-denominational, but I want to have the same type of power and voicing as those denominations do. And basically, that's why Twitter was invented and why Elon Musk still has it today algorithmically. Like, I don't know what he's done with the algorithm, but now all I see is hateful Christian stuff, and I don't, maybe, I don't know, like, I try not to go into the rabbit hole, so I don't know if it's like, if I click on it, like, so I just, I don't know why it is, really, I know why it is, is because the Christians that I'm, like, in that ecosystem with, that's who they follow in there, and by the time you get there, there's a lot of hateful stuff that exists, so my premonition, because I understand how important my voice is at a national level, is that I am going to tweet response to some ridiculous thing that somebody has said. And I say that tongue-in-cheek because the reality is I rarely, rarely do that anymore. I, and really, I don't know, in the younger years, I, I actually have a website where I would sometimes respond to stuff. I was reading something I wrote 12 years ago about somebody talked crap about Walnut Hills, and I wrote a whole article about it because that's what I would do. And today, I just take it in, and then my fingers start to want to tweet, and then I will draft something, and then I hit delete and move on with my life. Why do I do that? Because there's a lot of people I disagree with in the larger Christian world. I think that's something that makes us there. It's like, hey, you have to decide if you're going to align with these different people. But I don't. You know why? Because the people who I want to align with are the people in this church, in this room, and I want to make sure that we're copacetic. And then what happens outside anywhere else, I'm going to be aware of it. But that's not my problem, right? I can be unifying even if I don't subscribe. And by the way, there's a lot of crap out there right now. And I'm still trying to maintain relationships with people. Not because I think they're right. Because I think in heaven, it's going to shock the hell out of people. Did you like what I did there? That's a... It's going to... In heaven will shock the hell out of people when they look and they're like, oh man, they're here, they're here, they're here. Man, it's going to be the worst from that perspective. Everything else is going to be awesome, but it's going to be the worst when we realize that all these heretical apostates that we disliked are there with us. And, you know, I don't know how God and Jesus are going to work the whole, like, you know, like, hey guys, we have to have a circle up, have a meeting. Like, I don't know how that counseling session will go. It will work. It'll probably be supernatural counseling session. That's not biblical. That's how I view it. But the reality is, is I have to live life in unity with other Christians. That's so, so hard. But the base level, the foundation, Paul summarizes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. No one can lay any foundation, no church foundation can be laid other than the one that is already laid, the one that exists, the one that has existed for thousands of years, which is who? Which is Jesus. So to reiterate what I said last week as Kelly comes up because she's going to lead us through a time of communion is, I love this church. Echo Church is what, it's still, you know, Beyond my family, the thing I'll be most proud of is you all, that we get to live life together. This is a great place. At the same time, as much as I'm asking you to drink the metaphorical Kool-Aid, which don't research that because then that's not what this is about. But I want you to know is that we are not a perfect place. We will let you down at some point. Somebody here will let you down. But what we're trying to do is live life together in a way that exemplifies who we are as the people of God. He is faithful, and because he is the foundation, we keep going, okay? Let me pray. We'll have some, Kelly will lead us to communion. 
Jesus, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the church. I thank you for this church, for these women and men and children who have decided to live life together. Father, there's a lot of journeys we're on, and we just ask that you continue to guide us, but help us to join you in mission. Father, we don't have to know everything to join you in trying to spread the good news of Jesus in every aspect of our lives. And this week, I ask that you open doors and opportunities for us to testify to your faithfulness. Thank you for being faithful. We're trying so hard, Father, to do the same. Just through your spirit, please guide us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 10.30 a.m., You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.